Dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. You know what our call letters WGN stand for, don't you? Welcome to WGN Radio Theater. Special three-hour presentation. And your hosts, Carl Amari and Lisa Wolf. All right, it's seven minutes after 11 p.m. here on the WGN Radio Theater program. 429 in the series. It's October 12th. To my right... The vivacious Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hi, Carl. How are you? Freshly back from Las Vegas. Yeah, well, I'm back. I don't know how fresh I am, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty Not back. Not one ounce of suntan. That is absolutely Not true. Not even an ounce. <laughs> That's true. My rosy cheeks. <laughs> a little blush. Oh, <laughs> uh, and you had a good time out there. I had there. a great time. We'll be talking a little bit later about some of the shows there. All right. Well, uh, we're here till 2 o'clock in the morning. We have classic radio show celebrating Halloween. We have three very scary radio shows. Now, we're playing Halloween shows throughout all of October, and tonight it's Inner Sanctum Mystery, and then Night Beat with Frank Lovejoy, and then The Sealed Book from 1945. Shante Garth, our producer, in the booth, and we're going to play our game, Cat's Pride, Guess that song. Yes, we are. We are going to... The first song is from 1972. Actually, all the songs are from 1972. Uh, it was a good year for music. Uh, I think you're going to like some of my choices. You can let me know how you feel about it. Oh, I will. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and we are going to uh, look for our listeners to call in. We're going to go with caller number six. You can call right now at 312-981-7200. Call now and play the game with us. We'll be right back. Guess that song. That's what we're going to do. Guess that song. And we have Jim on the line. Hi, Jim. Hi. So Lisa, glad you. Carol. Hey, Jim. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Good. So glad you made it through. We're going to have a little fun with 1972. And I can tell you, Carl, you have a special affinity toward this song. Mm. You have some memories that go oh, with this wow. song. It must be disco. It must not be. <laughs> we'll see. All right. Let's play a couple seconds of this song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jim, sure, you know that one? of course. Hmm. You know it, Jim? It's hard to place it sometimes. Um, okay. Who sings it, Carl? I, it's Michael Jackson. Right, and what's the name of the song? I think it's Ben. It is Ben. Ah. Let's play it. I'll never be Willard, he he had a a, a, a rat That's named right. Ben. That he loved his rat. His rat. Named ben. <laughs> this was a creepy movie, man. It was. Yeah, it's really. Yeah, we we always talk and about this Michael song. Jackson it's a lot of fun. To, uh, um, and Michael Jackson was 14 when he recorded this song. Really? Yeah, isn't that something? His voice hadn't changed yet. No, I know. No. What do you think, Jim? You remember that song? Oh, I remember the song. I guess I didn't get enough of it. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> that's the name of the game here. We're gonna try our song number two. Let's see how this one goes. What do you think, Jim? Big top yeah, song I, from I 1972. It, I can't. I, I don't know who sings that. You know that one, Carl? Um, bum, bum, bum. Give me a friend. A friend. Find me a friend. To lean on. Lean on. Lean on me. Let's hear it. These songs, these slow songs. Lisa likes Look, these. Like, this was what was big in 1972. I didn't make it up. <laughs> was this? Um, this was Bill Withers. 
And this There's been some other uh, versions of this. This was a theme to a TV show, too, wasn't it? It wasn't the Wonder Years. No, but it this was is definitely not Wonder Years. No. I don't know. We'll, we can look it up. Um, so when Bill Withers was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2015, Stevie Wonder and John Legend performed this song for him. Wow, very cool. Nice? All right, well, thank you so much for playing, Jim. And you are a winner no matter what, because that's how we roll here at WGN Radio Theater. You've won the desktop indoor weather station. It's brought to you by American Weathermakers Heating and Cooling. They are the 60-Minute Men. You can visit AmericanWeathermakers.com. I love my weather station, and I'm sure you're going to, too. Thanks so much for playing with us tonight. Thanks, Jim. You did great. You're a winner. It's a lot of fun no matter what. Thanks a lot, Jim. Thank you. All right, Jim's a big winner. And uh, we have a text in line, folks, 312-981-7200. In our next hour, when we play our uh, Cat's Pride Guess That Song, we can give away a Lou Malnati's Pizza. You don't want to miss that. And you don't want to miss Inner Sanctum Mystery. This was a uh, very creepy, scary radio show. Came to the airwaves in 1941. It was produced and directed by Hyman Brown, who later directed and produced the CBS Radio Mystery Theater with E.G. Marshall. Now, the host on Inner Sanctum was uh, Raymond Edward Johnson at first. He was Raymond, our host. And then when he left the show, they hired Paul McGrath. And he was just known as our host. He wasn't known as Raymond, our host. And there was, this show had that creaking door trademark, right? Right. The studio yep. door where uh, Hyman Brown worked creaked, and so he said, I'm going to make that door a star. And so at the beginning of the show, there's this creaking door that opens, and then the host comes out and introduces the yeah introduces the story. And maybe they should hire you to do that, Lisa. I'm, the I'm creaky, for hire. Right. It was <laughs> sponsored for most of its run by Lipton Tea and uh, had a great run. It was a terrific series. And we're going to listen to Skeleton Bay from February 5th, 1946. And uh, the star of this show, or I should say the host of this show, is uh, Paul McGrath. He plays the host who introduces the story and brings us into the inner sanctum. Also in the cast, Mercedes McCambridge. We all know her as the voice of the demon from the Exorcist movie. Also, Martin Gable in this show and Lawson Zerby. Uh, Lawson Zerby, here's part one now of Skeleton Bay on Inner Sanctum Mystery. Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup present Inner Sanctum Mysteries. Good evening, students of the mystic marvels of manifold murder. <laughs> this is your host. Extending a cordial invitation to step through the creaking door of the inner sanctum, where we probe deep into the dark and cavernous depths of men's souls to see what makes them kill. Mm-hmm. Our clinic here is a whole vast world of crime. And you who listen in may hear us dissect our characters at a safe distance. And unless your nerves are strong, you'd better take my advice and... Uh, 
keep your distance. <laughs> Why, Mr. Host, that's not the kind of advice to give folks. It sounds unfriendly. Well, what would you suggest, Mary? Well, give them some sort of friendly advice. Like pointing out to them the extra delight they'll get from a cheering cup of Lipton tea. Then go on to tell them why Lipton's is so downright delicious. Tell them that the reason is Lipton's brisk flavor. And don't forget to mention that brisk is the tea expert's own word for the spirited, full-bodied flavor of Lipton's. So refreshing and so zestful. Explain that Lipton's brisk flavor is never flat, but always lively and satisfying. And in closing, remind them to try Lipton's soon, because in every cup of Lipton's, there's extra enjoyment. And now that's the kind of advice you should give, folks. Well, Mary, you seem to have given it to them already. So we can go ahead and get launched on Skeleton Bay. That's the title of tonight's story. An original radio play by Emil Tepperman. It's about a lady novelist, a writer of mystery stories... It opens at a swanky hotel with private cabins situated on a storm-swept rock-bound coast. The story itself is all about... Mm-hmm. You guessed it. Murder. And here's Betty Lou Gerson as Carol Winter, the lady novelist, who will give us a blow-by-blow description. I'll tell you first about the night I met Michael Barrett. It was in August at Skeleton Bay... I'd come to the hotel supposedly for a rest. That was what I kept telling myself. But in reality, I didn't know why I'd come here. Skeleton I'd seen the name advertised months ago. Since then, it kept hammering and hammering, hammering at the inside of my brain. It's like the voice of implacable things commanding. 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 Because I didn't like crowds, the hotel manager had given me a cabin near the beach all to myself. It was the middle of the night, and I couldn't sleep. The wind came in from the ocean, howling like a hungry beast across the shoulders. And the pounding of the surf mingled with the angry, baffled growl of the sea. I sat at the window in the dark, staring out at the beach. I was restless, excited. It was then I saw the signal. It was just a winking little light few yards away on the beach. Someone was blinking a flashlight on and off, on and off. I was able to make out the figure of a man in boots and a leather jacket. He was signaling toward the hotel. But to whom? I had the answer in a moment. A man moved past my window going down toward the light. He had his collar turned up against the wind. His hat brim pulled low. I knew who it was. Mr. Field. A small, furtive man who'd come upon the train with me. The two men met, barely a stone's throw from my window. I could hardly see them huddled closely together. This was excitement, mystery, intrigue, the stimulation I wanted and needed. I had to know what was going on. I threw on a ring, could open the cabin door. The wind swept my hair in a streamer, and the spray stung my face as I hurried down the beach. My blood began to race, my heart to pound. Those two men were not engaged in any conference. They were locked in struggle. It was a deadly silent struggle with only a grunt now and then. I saw the flashing gleam of a knife. I couldn't tell who had the weapon. The tall man in the leather jacket or the furtive Mr. Field. And then... Then I saw the blade plunge home. Into the throat of the furtive Mr. Field. 
I felt a sudden surge of wild elation. This was murder. I had witnessed murder. The tall man let the body of Mr. Field slide down to the sand. Then he looked up and saw me. He stood there with a bloody knife in his hand and we looked at each other. Who are you? I'm Carol Winter. I have this cabin here, number five. You saw me kill him? Yes, I saw you. What are you going to do about it? I'm going to help you dispose of the body. He told me his name was Michael Barrett. He lived on the opposite side of the bay in the house high up on the cliff. It won't be so easy to get rid of the body. If I had the boat, I could take him out and drop him over, but it's too rough tonight. If there was some place to hide him for a day, I could come across in the boat tomorrow night. You can hide him in the closet in my cabin. Nobody will look there. Better lock the closet door. Yes, of course. You sure nobody will come snooping here? Nobody comes here but the maid. All right. I'll be back tomorrow night with a boat. Did you pick up the knife? Yeah. Got it in my pocket. Well, I guess that's all. Good night, Carola. Good night, Michael. All night I sat up alone with the locked closet door between me and the staring, sightless body of Mr. Field. Breakfast the next morning, they'd already discovered the disappearance. And the maid says his bed wasn't slept in at all. Oh, Thank you for committed suicide in the ocean. You oh, I hurried through my breakfast listening to the gossip all around me. No, in broad daylight, I hardly believe the thing had really happened last night. You know, the hotel manager thinks it might be murder. I heard him phoning for the police. The police? I hadn't counted on that. Anything wrong, my dear? You look sick. I do feel a bit dizzy. I think I'll get some fresh air. Oh, poor dear. It must be quite a shock to her. She came up on the train with Mr. Field. Far in the open air, I let the wind cool my fevered face as I hurried down toward the beach. It was only 9.30 in the morning. A whole day. A whole evening before Michael could come for the body. And the police would be around all day investigating, snooping. And all the time, Mr. Field would be sitting in my closet, staring blankly out of his sightless eyes. When I reached my cabin, I put a hand on the doorknob. Suddenly, I, I went cold all over. The door was unlocked. I stood still as a statue, listening. Yes, because there was someone inside. Someone moving around. I only had my handbag. I had a pistol in it. I always carried it for protection. My handbag was inside on the dresser. Slowly, slowly I pressed the door open. Half inch, an inch. And then the door creaked. Is that you, Miss Winter? The maid. It was only the maid, of course. She'd be making up the bed. Why hadn't I thought of that? Miss Winter, is that you? Yes, it's I. What are you doing at that closet with those keys? Why, they're just my pass keys, Miss Winter. I was just going to tidy up the closet. I didn't ask you to do anything to the closet. Well, but that's part of the job, Miss Winter. I'm supposed to do that in all the rooms. Well, you leave this one alone. Keep away from that closet, do you hear? Yes, Miss Winter. But I was only trying to help. I want your help. I'll ask for it. Now, please leave it once. Just as you say, Miss Winter. 
I'm sorry if I did anything wrong. Did she suspect anything? I hadn't liked her tone. Why? Why had I been so sharp with her? Now she'd surely think there was something in the closet. Something she shouldn't see. At lunchtime, I didn't want to leave the cabin. I sat at the window. And I could almost feel the sightless eyes of Mr. Field staring at me through the closet door. Someone at the door. Who? Who? Just a minute. Uh, Miss Winter? Miss Carol Winter? Yes, I'm Miss Winter. I'm sorry to trouble you, Miss Winter. I'm Detective Sergeant Smith from headquarters. Uh, may I come in for a moment? Well, yes, please do. What could I do for you, Sergeant Smith? Uh, we're out here investigating this field business. He uh, hasn't turned up yet. Well, I'm sure he will in time. Well, I wish I could be so sure, Miss Winter. What do you mean? We've gone through his room. Found some mighty queer things. Queer things? It seems this Mr. Fields is in some sort of racket. There's a good chance he may have been murdered. You don't say. I uh, understand you came up on the train with him. Yes, yes, that's true. Hey, did you uh, have any conversation with him on the train? Mm, no, none at all. Mm -hmm. Uh... You're the Carol of Winter who writes the mystery novels, aren't you? <laughs> the same. Yes, I've read every one of them. They're darn good, Miss Winter. Why, thank you. Uh, do you think you'll get a plot out of this? Uh, I mean, Mr. Field. I, uh, I can't tell yet. I wish you'd keep me posted on developments in case it does turn out to have a plot. Oh, I sure will, Miss Winter. Uh, by the way, we found this picture among the papers in Field's room. I'm, I'm showing it to everybody around in case they might recognize it. It's an old newspaper item, about ten years old. Can't figure out why he was turning it around. It's about a guy named Wycliffe. It's one of a murder in Canada. Here, take a look at it. I felt the blood racing in my veins, pounding at my wrists. The picture of the man named Wycliffe, who was wanted for murder in Canada, it was a picture of Michael Barrett. More of Inner Sanctum after these words. It's 1135 here on the WGN Radio Theater. We're listening to Inner Sanctum Mystery, Skeleton Bay. After that, it's The Black Cat, starring Frank Lovejoy on Nightbeat. And then after that, it's The Sealed Book. So we have scary radio shows all the way to 2 o'clock in the morning. So stay with us. But right now, it's the conclusion to Inner Sanctum Mystery. And now... Let's get back to the rock-bound coast of Skeleton Bay and see how Carola entertains the grisly guest in her closet. I don't remember now how I got rid of that Detective Smith. I, I told him I'd never seen the man in the picture and sent him away. The day was interminable. From my window, I could see the guests moving about the beach. But none of them went in swimming. The weather was... Too rough. I wondered if Michael would be able to bring the boat over tonight. If not, how much longer could I sit guard over Mr. Field in the closet? Now and then, I see Detective Smith poking around on the beach. And then, without warning, he was standing over the very spot where Michael had stabbed Mr. Field. I watched him bend down and examine something. 
Was there a telltale drop of blood there? Did Smith know that was the murder spot? I saw him frown. Then he stood up, walked quickly away. I had to know what it was he'd seen there. I slipped on a coat, went out. Started toward the spot on the beach. Going somewhere, Miss Winter? Oh, it's you, Detective. Uh, going anywhere in particular? Uh, no, no, I'm just going up to the hotel for dinner. It's almost dinner time, you know. Oh, fine. I'll walk up with you if you don't mind. Not at all. Hey, can I help you? I'll take your arm there. Thank you. Sand is so soft. As it's still wet. We had high tide last night. Oh, uh, um, Miss Winter. Yes? You a sound sleeper? What? Why do you ask? Well, I just thought maybe you might have heard something last night. Like a fight or something. Fight? Yes, yes. I was just looking at the sand back there, down near your cabin. It's all messed up, stamped around. What's that got to do with me? Oh, nothing at all. Except I think there was a fight there last night. Maybe that's where Mr. Field was killed. You... You think Mr. Field was murdered? It's beginning to look more and more like it, Miss Winter. Somehow, I, I don't know how I managed to get through with the dinner. I hurried back to the cabin. Stopped at the door, shocked and unbelieving. There was a light inside. Someone was in there. This time, I had my handbag with me. I took the pistol out. Once more, I inched the door open. It happened. The thing I feared. The closet door was open. And there was the maid, stooping over the body of Mr. Field. What are you doing there? The body. It's Mr. Field. You killed him? Suppose I did. What are you doing with that gun? You think? No! The wind was high. And the weather was rough. Unfortunately, no one heard the shot. I pushed her body into the closet next to the body of Mr. Field. Closed the door. Now. Now I was a murderer. Who is it? The name Carla Quick. Yes, yes. Michael, Michael, I thought you weren't coming. It's been a terrible day. What happened? Come here, I'll show you. Is he still in there? <laughs> See for yourself. Great Scott, a woman. Who is she? The maid. She opened the closet while I was out. You killed her? Yes, Michael. I, I had to kill her. There are detectives at the hotel looking for Mr. Field. Mm. I suppose if I was smart, I'd kill you too. And there'd be no one to talk. Yes, Michael. That would be smart. Go ahead. Kill me. If you can. I knew he couldn't kill me because I'd seen it in his eyes. We were two of a kind, both wild, both reckless both eager for the thrill of danger. He, too, wanted to be like the wind. We'd both been brought together here by some force stronger than either of us. And we loved each other. Carol, darling. Michael! No more now, Michael. 
We have work to do. Yes. I'll take them down to the boat. I'll help you. We carried Mr. Field and the maid down to the boat. Uh, I'll take them out away and dump them. And after that, Michael? After that? Then I'm going home. To your house on the cliff on the other side of the bay? Yes, Carol. Michael, take me with you. What? Take me with you to your house up there on the cliff. I'm sorry. I can't. You, you can't? Why can't you? There isn't anything I can tell you. What are you hiding up there in the house on the cliff? You mustn't ask. Please, Carola, you mustn't ask. Why, you're married. You have a wife up there. No. Then what? I can't tell you. But you... You're going away. Leaving me forever. Not forever, Carola. Go back to the city. I'll come to you soon. I returned to the city and waited. I waited a week, a month. But Michael Barrett did not come. I wrote to him. There was no answer. And then one evening, I saw him. I was returning home in a taxi and I saw him. Standing across the street looking up at my window. He saw me get out of the cab. He turned and started to hurry away. Michael! Michael! Michael, don't go away! Michael! Michael, why did you try to run away? Don't you know? You're afraid. Yeah, let's call it that. You love me, Michael, don't you? Carola, it's no good. There's nothing but ruin for both of us if I stay. We'll be together forever. It's impossible. I won't let you go back to that house on the cliff. I don't care what it is you're hiding up there. I won't let you go back. Goodbye, Carol. Wait. I'm going. Better forget about it. Don't go yet, Mr. White. know about that, too. I saw the old newspaper clipping Mr. Field, Carol. I see. Why are you looking at me like that? You know why I killed Mr. Field? Because it tried to blackmail me about that old murder. Michael, dear, I'm a good deal smarter than Mr. Field. You see, I write mystery novels. I know how to handle such things. What do you mean? Wouldn't do you any good to kill me. I've written out all about you. Your real name and about that old murder in Canada. It would be found if I should ever be killed. Oh. Michael, darling, I'm blackmailing you. There's only one thing I want from you. Your love. It shouldn't be so hard for you to meet. My terms? All right, Carla. You win. We'll be married tonight. Soon after we were married, Michael began going out evenings. Once, sometimes twice a week. Staying out all night. He returned late the next day. When I asked where he'd been, his temper would flare up into something terrible. I stopped asking but I couldn't rest. I had to know where he went. One evening, I followed him. He boarded a train to Skeleton Bay. At Skeleton Bay, he set out to walk from the station. I followed him. It was no longer summer. 
trees were bare and the night was forbidding. I kept behind him when he skirted the bay to the narrow road that led up toward his house high on the cliff. It was a small stone house, and the wind whistled around it, against it, above it. I stole to one of the windows. It was barred, like a prison. Carefully, I raised my head above the sill, peered into a lighted room. Michael was there, with a woman. For the first time in my life, I knew the meaning of frustration, jealousy. Michael told me he wasn't married, but this woman... I'd helped him to do murder. I'd killed for him. I'd lied to that detective for him. And all the while, this was the secret he'd been keeping from me. I opened my handbag. I took out the pistol. I looked into the room again. The woman was alone now. Michael was gone. So you came <gasps> up after all, Carola. Michael, you... You sneaked out. You knew I was here. I'm sorry you saw through that window, Carola. Is that your secret? That woman? Part of it, but it's the part you mustn't know. But I do know it now. That's why I've got to kill you, Carola. That knife. You still got that knife? Yes, Carola. Well, I've got this, Mike. Ah! You fell at my feet. And I looked down and watched him die. Now I knew why I'd really come to Skeleton Bay that first day. It was for this. To kill Michael Barrett. So he's dead. At last. You've killed him. You. The woman in the house. You. You saw me kill him? Yes, I saw you. What are you going to do about it? Help you dispose of the body, of course. Help me dispose of the body. Those were the very words I'd said to Michael Barrett down there on the beach. How this woman was saving me. Who, who are you? I'm Elizabeth Wycliffe. I'm Michael's sister. Sister? And you want to help me dispose of his body? See the bars on those windows? Yes. I've been a prisoner in this house for ten years. What? Michael killed the man I was going to marry ten years ago in Canada. He murdered him. This house, this prison. Michael brought me here. He's kept me a prisoner. Because he knew if I got free, I'd tell the world he was a murderer. That's the secret. The secret he wouldn't even tell me. I shot her. Yes, I killed her too. There outside the house, and she fell beside Michael. And I rolled both bodies over the cliff down into the sea. This is the end of my book. The best mystery novel I've ever written. I know that in writing it, I deliver myself into the hands of the law. But I can't stop. I can't help myself. So now... I'm finished. I will mail it to my publisher and wait for Detective Sergeant Smith to come and get me. Well, 
It looks as if Carola's mystery novel will earn a lot of money after she's executed. Yes, but I'd say it's tainted money. Hmm? Why tainted? Because she'll be dead and a ghost can't own money. So taint hers. <laughs> the trouble with Carola was that her conscience was too little and too late. It told her not to commit murder after she'd done it. Well, that's certainly too late, Mr. Host. Oh, yes, Mary, especially for her victims. And so, friends, we take our leave of lovely Carola Winter. She would have been better off if she'd remembered that the pen is mightier than the sword. Because the sword is leading her right back to the pen anyhow. <laughs> oh, yes, and remember, friends... When you go on a vacation, always insist on plenty of closet space. As you never know what unexpected guests might drop in. Or drop dead. <laughs> by the way, this month's Inner Sanctum mystery novel is Death in the Limelight. By A.E. Martin. And next week, the makers of Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup will bring you another Inner Sanctum mystery directed by Hyman Brown. Until next Tuesday... Good night. Pleasant dreams. <laughs> Don't forget to tune in next Tuesday night for another Inner Sanctum Mystery. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That's Inner Sanctum Mystery, February 5th, 1946. Skeleton Bay, hosted by Paul McGrath. In that cast, Betty Lou Gerson. You also had Martin Gable, Lawson Zerby, and The Maid was played by Mercedes McCambridge. That was originally sponsored by Lipton Tea and Soup. It's heard on CBS. Let's take a quick break. Then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater. We are the WGN Radio Theater every Saturday and Sunday night. We start at 11 p.m. here. We play all your favorite classic radio shows. And Lisa Wolf is my host, uh, co-host. And we also have Mike Costello behind the scenes. He's the guy doing the digital remastering of all of these shows. Shante Garth, our producer. And Mike also does the restoration of all the classic radio shows that appear in the Classic Radio Club. So uh, I know that there's hundreds and hundreds of members out there that are listening to the show. They know that they get their CDs or digital downloads every month, and the quality is amazing. I do appreciate every single person that is part of the Classic Radio Club. We have a lot of people that send in testimonials of how much they enjoy the liner notes and the quality of the shows. We always have 10 new shows every month. It's always a variety. You'll get westerns, comedies, mysteries, detective shows all in the Classic Radio Club. And I know, Lisa, you get yours via digital download, right? I do. It comes right to my computer. I can uh, Bluetooth it in my car and listen to it at my leisure. Well, don't green tooth it. I won't. I'm all yeah. into. I'm all about blue. All right. So Mike likes the CDs. And um, Dan Jaffe, you know, the Cats Pride president, he likes the digital downloads. Yeah, so well, we started those. with just the CDs and uh, moved on to... Uh, 
got a little more technologically advanced and moved on to the digital download. Either way, you still get the same great radio shows, the same great liner notes, and, um, you know, what a gift it is each month to get 10 new shows. All right, and you can give a gift to one of your friends, too. Maybe a, a relative likes these classic radio shows. Learn all about it by going to our website, Classic Radio Club. Dot com. Ten shows every month sent to you with liner notes, either on CD or via digital download, ClassicRadioClub.com. And there's also a toll-free number, right, Lisa? Yes, there is. Did you want me to give it? Yeah. Okay. It is 888-642-6556. That's 888-642-6556. Yeah, a lot of people don't want to... Uh, sign up on the computer. They don't want to go to the website and sign up. They want to talk to a live operator. So if so, you can just call that number, 888-642-6556. It depends who that live operator is. I mean, maybe it's you, and they would love to talk to you. Mm, they, don't to- <laughs> they don't want to talk to me. They do. Nah. I love talking to you, Carl. Do you, Lisa? I do. All right, join the Classic Radio Club. I think you'll really, really enjoy it. Okay, coming up. After the news in our second hour, we have a Halloween episode of Nightbeat. It's called The Black Cat, and it's all about Halloween. It's from November 3rd of 1950. Frank Lovejoy stars in that. Then in our third hour, it's the sealed book, Scary Radio Show, starring Philip Clark and... That was actually broadcast right here on WGN. It is uh, 12.08. It is uh, Sunday morning. Happy Sunday to you, Lisa. It is Sunday morning. Hour two of the WGN Radio Theater. On this hour, it's Night Beat, which was set in Chicago. Yeah. Good uh, good newspaper kind of drama. He was a reporter for the Chicago Star, and he would, he would walk around the windy city of Chicago finding human interest stories for his newspaper column. And we have a Halloween episode called The Black Cat. That's coming your way in this hour. In our third hour, it is The Sealed Book, a good mystery from 1945. But right now it's time to play our game, Cat's Pride, Guess That Song. Yep, that's what we're going to do. We're still at 1972. And um, I'm actually, we're at 1973, too. I don't know. We're going 72 or 73? Uh, you know, uh, we're at 72. Okay. 72. All it's right. a good year. We yep. are going to be giving away a Lumel Naughty's gift certificate for $25. So that's very exciting. And we're going to be looking for caller number eight. So everybody has a chance to play 312-981-7200. We'll be right back. Guess that song. All right. We have Kathy on the phone to guess that song. And these are 1973 songs for the rest of the night. Is it hey, two Kathy. or three? It's three. Ay, 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 ay. I'm going to say like the Woodman's guy. Ay, caramba. Ay, caramba. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Kathy. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> She's probably thinking, what the? What did I get myself into? We've got loquacious Carl and vivacious Lisa, yes. apparently. How you doing, Kathy? All right. All right. Well, we're glad you made it through. We're going to play a little Guess That Song. We're going to start with the first song, Carl. This is a great song for you. Let's hear a little bit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know that one. All right, Kathy, you know that one? Um, No. All right, Carl, you want to help her out? Um, (laughs) I had it. Oh, wait, it's... uh, uh, Can you hum a little bit, Carl? uh, Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Let's get it on. Let's get it on. That's right. Let's get it on. There you go. Little Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye. Let's hear it. And if you feel like I feel. 
Come on. Come on. Wow. You definitely, it's, nobody can sing Marvin Gaye. Not no, even you, right. Carl. So this top the I billboard. I can in the shower. I bet you can. That information I don't want to know. It topped the Billboard pop single charts for two weeks and the Billboard soul singles for eight weeks. Now, this is a great song. All right, we have another song coming along our way. Another great tune from 1973. Let's hear it. There you go. That's all you get. What do you think, Kathy? Any idea, Kathy? Yes, yes, that's exactly that's right. what it is. Who sings gambling that, Carl? Man. No, uh, Ramblin' Man. Oh, Ramblin' Man. Not gambling. Not gambling? No, it's not rambling? gambling. It's okay. rambling. rambling. <laughs> that's what you do. You ramble. <laughs> 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 Who sings this? Um, I don't know. It's the Almond Brothers. Let's the hear Almond it. The Almond Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was Gambling Man. Nope. Oh, I was born a Ramblin' Man. This is a Carl song yeah. all the way. Doing the best I can. This is a great tune. Yeah. So the Almonds guitarist Dickie Betts wrote this song, taking the title from the 1951 Hank Williams song, Ramblin' Man. I like almonds. Uh, <laughs> almonds or <laughs> I almonds? Like, I like almonds. <laughs> okay, well, almond and almond, completely two different words. Kathy, you, <laughs> you are the big winner here. You have won a Lou Malnati's gift certificate. Lou Malnati's is home of Chicago's best deep dish pizza and our favorite here at WGN Radio Theater. You can find one of their 40-plus Chicagoland locations, or you can order online at lumelnatis.com. Thank you so much for playing the game, Kathy. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Kathy. All right. Our text in line, 312-981-7200. We love getting your texts. But right now, it's time for Nightbeat. Nightbeat was a newspaper drama. Began on NBC Radio in February of 1950. Frank Lovejoy played Randy Stone, reporter for the Chicago Star. He covered the night beat. He roamed the windy city of Chicago in search of human interest stories for his column. And he did that each and every week. Well, this week, it's Halloween week. It's from November 3rd, 1950. It's called The Black Cat. Here is Frank Lovejoy in part one of Night Beat. Hi, this is Randy Stone. I cover the night beat for the Chicago Star. Stories start in many different ways. This one began with a Halloween killing and ended with a black cat's sweet revenge. Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. Yes, Halloween had come and gone, but tonight was still a good night for any leftover spooks, witches, or black cats as the hallowed eve itself. The rain came down like a million little hammers as I sloshed down the street. It was a tough night to be out, but I had to have a story for tomorrow morning's paper, and the public isn't interested if you get your feet wet doing it. Tonight I was digging in the garbage of Chicago for a yard. The Madison District. Wooden houses had leaned crazily to one side, apartment houses put together with spit and orange crates. Great spot for a cynic. 
It was on the corner of Martin Street. Two or three shadowy figures stood staring at a big, ugly black cat on the street. It walked around in circles like some demented thing, its yellow eyes catching the light from the street lamp above. An old man was trying to coax it away. You got to come home with me. I got milk for you. Honest, I have. And a warm fire. You, you like to be warm, don't you? Well, that cat's gone crazy, old time. I wouldn't go near it if I were you. Yeah, she's been acting like that since they took Nick Corby's body away almost an hour ago. Won't let anyone near her. I shouldn't have done it. Nick won't like Tilly standing out here in the rain. I won't mind too much, Mike. Him being dead. Come on, Pop. I'll take you home. The cat'll come in after a while. They killed him, and Tilly knows who done it. Ain't you going to tell me who done it, Tilly? What's with that old guy? Yeah, laugh. Harmless, though. What about this Corby? Went out for a walk with a cat. Somebody heisted him, took his dough, and left a bullet hole in his head. Good exchange, eh? Cops get anything at all? Nah, I didn't bother much. Asked a few questions and shoveled them into the meat wagon. I call her and she won't come. Well, well, well. Well, I guess I'll be moving on. Yeah, me too. Hey, you want to know something? Yeah, always. Just to give you a laugh, you look just like him. Like who? You look just like Nick Corby. Before or after the bullet? So I plugged up the hole in my head and started walking away. Nothing here for me. Another Madison Street special. Guy robbed and killed. He'll stay dead, and the man with the gun will go on living. I'd gone five or six yards when I heard someone calling. Hey, mister, mister. Hmm? Oh, what is it, Pop? Tilly, Tilly, she's following you. There she is. You see her? Oh, yeah, well, so she is. <laughs> Tilly, you scrawny thing. Oh. Hey, hey, this ugly old doll's going for me. Oh, she likes you. What's the matter, Tilly? Things are getting tough. Hey, will you pick her up and take her to my place? All right, Pop. All right, where do you live? Right here, the Martin apartment. Okay. Up you come, you black banshee. Get three steps going down. Here, in the basement. I'm the janitor here. Come in and warm up a bit. No, no, thank you. No, thank you. Here's your cat. I've got to get moving. Tilly don't want you to go. <laughs> you had not to. She don't want you to. You tell her I'm practically engaged to someone else. <laughs> so long. I'd like to have accepted the old man's invitation to stay in for a short talk with him and the cat, but there didn't seem to be any room for the three of us. So I walked back upstairs, flagged a cab, and sank down on the seat. But before the driver could close the door, something jumped at me and landed in my lap. There's the cat. Uh, driver, just a minute. Now, what is it? I gotta take this cat back. I'll be out in a few minutes. Now look, mister, I'm losing fares. On a night like this, everyone wants a cat. I ain't waiting. Nice boy. Come on, Tilly. Mike. Here, come take the cat. Oh, she went after you, and I couldn't stop her. She likes you. And when she likes a man, she don't let go of him. That's the way it was with Nick. That's no use. You can't get away from her. Maybe she thinks you're Nick. Oh, you look a lot like him, a lot. I'll show her my birth certificate sometimes. Mike. Huh? Mike, what are you doing with that gun? Oh, I'm cleaning it. Got to clean them all the time. They don't work. As a soldier, and I ought to know, you got to clean them and clean them. Look, look, Mike, if the cat won't stay with you, why don't you take it back to Nick Corby's wife? I wouldn't do that. Mrs. Corby's afraid of the cat. She even tried to kill her once, but Tilly was too smart. Shh. Mrs. Corby, 
Tried to kill Nick, too. How do you know? Nick told me. He was my friend. He played checkers with me. And you know what? He didn't call me Crazy Mike like the rest of them. He'd give me his gun to keep for him after that time Mrs. Corby shot at him. Is that the one you're cleaning now? No. His is hid. Mm-hmm. Uh, where does Mrs. Corby live? Well, right here in this building. Did you know? Number 18. Well, maybe I'll go up and have a talk with you. You lock Tilly in the other room. I'll go up and see her. You ain't gonna tell her, are you? Tell her what? That I'm gonna kill her. All Mike wasn't gonna do any killing with that gun. I hadn't liked the vacant look in his eyes and the tight lines around his mouth, so while we'd been talking, I'd slipped the magazine into my pocket. But it still left him pretty dangerous. So I thought I'd better go up and have a talk with Mrs. Corby. Who's there? Mr. Stone. Oh, come in. I'm so glad you came. Sit down. Thank you. Say, you don't look like a policeman. I'm not. I'm a reporter. Did the police send you? Oh, not exactly. Oh, I might have known. What's another killing to them when it happens on Madison? Who am I to ask for protection? Who am I to be worried about a crazy man thing is going to kill me? Well, maybe I can help. Can you bring back my husband? Can you bring him back so that he'll pay the rent every month and see that I have something to eat and a dress to wear? Can you bring back the feeling I had of belonging to someone? That's the way it was till the cat came. That's who killed him. The cat? Yes. He said he was going out tonight. I told him. Now, I told him, go, go, Nick. Now, don't you go or... Or what? Nothing. She couldn't stand seeing us happy. He put his arms around me. That cat would come whining and scratching at me. Hating me with everything in her. Oh, look, Mrs. Corby, you're upset now. Always talking and whispering to each other. Till I, I go crazy mad. Nick stroking her and the cat purring and mocking me. I tried to poison her. I tried to shoot her. But I couldn't. She's, she's too clever. Well, the police will get at it, Mrs. Corby, in a few days. The whole thing will blow over. I told them who did it. They said they'd look into it. But they won't till it's too late. That's the way the cops work around here. I'm kind of confused, lady. Just, just who is it you're talking about? Mike. Mike? Did he kill your husband? Why? Because he's crazy, that's why. Talking soft and low one minute and the next a raving maniac. He'll kill me, too, if the police don't stop him. What's that? It's only the cat at the window. Get away from there! You sneaking, lying thing! I'll, I'll kill you! I will! You hear? Take hold of yourself, lady. Take hold of yourself. It's only a cat. A cat? It's a she-devil. A scheming, rotten she-devil. Now you get away or I'll throw the... She picked up the empty bottle and threw it at the window and the cat disappeared. For a few minutes I thought Mrs. Corby had gone out of her mind. I finally quieted her down. She wouldn't let me leave her at first. But when I told her I was just going to bring the police back, she locked herself in the room and told me to hurry. When I got out into the hallway, old Mike was standing by, an empty grin on his face. Hmm. Carrying on, wasn't she? What were you doing up here? Just listening. I like to hear people yell. Well, you come on downstairs. I want to talk to you. I made some tea for us. I like tea. Mm-hmm. How did Tilly get out? I opened the door and out she came. Huh? <laughs> did you want her to scare Mrs. Corby? Yeah. <laughs> Worked good, didn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mike, Mike, tell me, did 
Do you like scaring people, or is it just Mrs. Corby? Uh, here's your tea. I like tea. Thanks, Mrs. Mike. Corby don't like old Mike. She thinks I'm crazy. You? You think I'd be here talking about important things if I thought you were? Yeah, we got important things to talk about. Mike, why do you want to kill Mrs. Corby? Mm, she's a bad woman. Always running around with that Mr. Baydell. You know, the one that plays the music. And Nick didn't like that? No, Nick didn't like the music man. He hit him once, made him bleed all over. Oh, when was this? Day before yesterday. He was fighting about Nick's wife. And Mr. Baydell said, I'll kill you for this. Do you think he did? On a dark corner, in the rain, when nobody was watching, they'd done it to him. I got to kill her for that. And him, too. I'll tell you what, Mike. I'll go down and get the police here, and they'll look after it. You know what? I lost part of my gun, and I can't use it. Well, you won't need it. I'm going for the cops. Oh, it takes them too long. I'll do it with Nick's gun. I got it hid for him. Where is it? I hid it good. It's under my bed. In this box. Now, uh, let me take a look at it. Huh. Oh, it ain't here. It's it's gone. The old man's face went white when he couldn't find Nick's gun, and I could see a crazy rage coming to a boil. I don't mind telling you that I was scared. And then suddenly there was an explosion that seemed to come from the basement window. Somebody was shooting at us. I pulled Mike down to the floor. For a minute, I thought Mike had been hit, but he was only dazed and maybe scared. Uh, 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 they want to get me before I get them. Oh, Mike, who? She don't like me, and Mr. Baydell don't like me. Where does he live? Next door, in the Roman house. Well, I'm going to talk to him. Don't leave this room, and you'll be all right. Understand me? Oh, but where's Tilly? I, I ain't seen Tilly. The cat will be all right. You just stay here. All right, interesting uh, Halloween show on Nightbeat from November 3rd, 1950, called The Black Cat. You know who's doing the uh, meowing and the cat voice sounds? Well, I do. Because <laughs> <laughs> I told you. June Foray. June Foray did all kinds of... Uh, she was granny on the uh, on those Looney Tunes cartoons, and she was, uh, she was Rocky from mm-hmm. Rocky and Bullwinkle. She did all kinds of cartoon voices. I had the great pleasure of interviewing her, her years ago. Frank Lovejoy starring on this episode of Nightbeat. We'll get back to it in just a few minutes. Yeah, Roger's a little, uh, he's a little under the weather. I'm a little? You, is that a size joke? Look, <laughs> I'm a little? Look at how dedicated he is. Comes in here, he's not feeling 100%. But he knows he has to get that news out. We appreciate it. Well, he's going to stay over there, and we're going to stay over here. <laughs> yeah. You stay in your room, and we'll stay in ours. I'll and he brought some here. cake, too. Yeah, and coffee we, cake for you. And we, uh, we ate We've a lot of it. We've been enjoying it. We ate a lot of it. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> Thank All right, you. Uh, All right. It's time now for the conclusion to The Black Cat on Night Beat. On the third floor of the rooming house, I heard accordion music coming from behind one of the closed doors. I knocked on it. Come in. I pushed the door open. I stood looking at a guy in his middle 40s wrestling with an old accordion. One look and I was sure he wasn't the man of distinction. There was a cloudy glass of muscatel sitting on a dirty table at his side. His tongue was a little thick when he spoke. A music lover, no doubt. I see that your clothes are soaking wet. Just come in out of the rain, maybe, a few minutes ago. Do I detect a tone of authority in your voice? Let me guess. Policeman? No. I'm greatly relieved. 
They frowned so on musicians who slid from concert hall to barroom, from a Steinway to an accordion. Who are you? I'm Randy Stone, Chicago star. Ah, yes, the star. Your paper was kind to me in uh, in happier days. I dare say you want an interview, uh, one of those what's become of stories. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't oblige. I'm composing at the moment. Look, Mr. Baydell, I have a few questions I'd like answered. Ah, but haven't we all? Question number one. Have you, in the past 15 minutes, fired a revolver? That's simple. No. Mind if I look around? Not at all. Hmm. Now, what's the use? You could have ditched the gun. Perhaps you'd like to hear my newest work. I'm more interested in Nick Corby at the moment. Ah, lucky fellow. To be shot down, destroyed without a moment's warning. No remorse. A shot and one less specimen of misery in the world. You rather think I did it, don't you, Mr. Stone? From what I'm given to understand, you're a likely candidate. Poor demented Mike has been talking to you. Do you believe him? I suppose you were composing when he was shot. I've been rehearsing the answer to that question all evening. I know it so well I could set it to music. Well, I'll take it straight. I was with Mrs. Corby when the news came in. In fact, I opened the door for the policeman. Mrs. Corby will swear to that, I suppose. Indeed, she will. <laughs> I in person, Mrs. Corby. Now, Mr. Stone, before you go, perhaps you'd be interested in buying an etude I've recently finished. For one dollar... Uh, sell it to the cops. You'll be seeing them pretty soon. Will you please send one that can play oboe? I've written a variation in A minor for accordion and oboe that goes like this. I don't know. I seem to have a knack of getting mixed up with offbeat characters. They fascinate me like a stage door fascinates some Johnnies. And I get to know what makes a guy tick, even if it means ducking a couple of bullets. There wasn't much doubt in my mind that either old Mike or Mr. Baydell had helped Corby out of this world. And even though they were interesting characters, they were both dangerous and it kind of burned me up that the cops hadn't done anything about them. Mrs. Corby wanted protection and she was entitled to it. So I hopped into a cab and went down to headquarters. Sergeant Kelly was playing four-handed canasta all by himself. Hi. How about some canasta? How about a little murder? On a night like this? Now, this is an old one. Three hours ago, Nick Corby. Oh, him. Boy's just finished on him. You got the report? Not a written one, but I know all the stuff. Shot through the temple, very close range. He was robbed. Bad spot, that Martin Avenue. What kind of gun was used? Forty-five. Should have seen that neat, round little hole in his head. Looked like a bomb crater. Mrs. Corby feels her life is in danger and asks for protection. How come she didn't get it? Swanson told me about her. She's nuts. Talked about a cat killing her. Then some harmless old guy she wanted to pull. Some old droller. She's nuts. Well, she asked for something she's entitled to. And that harmless old man, somebody took a couple of shots at him. Why didn't somebody tell her? Well, I'm telling you now. You're going to send some boys down right away? You guys are going to get a blasting from my paper if you don't. What are you all worked up about? A guy was killed, that's all, and a couple of nuts with guns are on the loose, that's all. Our boys questioned them and couldn't see no reason for doing more than they did. Now, be reasonable, Stone. Are you going to get someone down there, or do I start writing? Uh, I'll do what I can. Good. And Randy. Yeah? If, uh, you're going to start writing, be sure you spell my name with two L's. When I got back to Mike's place in the basement, he was gone. While waiting for him, I rummaged around a bit just to keep busy and see what I could find. I didn't even hear the door open, but then... Uh-oh. You won't find it. Oh, uh, 
Hello, Mike. What won't I find? What you're looking for? Oh, Mike knows. What do you know? He knows who killed Nick. He knows for sure now. Who was it? Mr. Bedell. He done it. How do you know it was him? I found the gun in his room. Nick's gun with three bullets missing. One for Nick and two for me. That's how I know. Let me see it, Mike. I got it hit good this time. That's fine. That's fine. We'll give it to the police when they come, won't we? No. Nick wants me to do it myself. He wouldn't show me the gun or tell me where he'd hidden it. And the look on his face told me that whatever was left of his brain was concentrating on what he was going to do. I ran next door and back upstairs to warn the musician. He was gone. Landlady told me, try the bar on the corner. The storm had got a new lease on life, and I was glad to close the door of that bar behind me. The place was empty, but for the bartender and my friend with the accordion. Live one. What'll it be? A little conversation with Shostakovich over there. Tell the gentleman I have nothing to discuss with him. He is not a patron of the arts. You heard him. Mr. Baydell, you've got to get out of here. Then tell the man what my terms are for conversation. You've got to buy him a drink. Oh, he's had enough. A small subsidy of 50 cents may buy you a piece of posterity through my compositions. Yeah, better buy him a drink, mister. He gets stubborn. All right, all right, then. Make it quick. Thank you. I will now dedicate to you... Look, Mr. Bidell, any minute now, the door may open and you... How dare you interrupt me in the middle of a presentation? Well, you... You'll get no place. I'm very sorry. Go ahead. Bartender, keep your eye on that door. The piece I've selected for you is a bit of American minstrelsy. Two lovers stood on the corner. Above them, the street lamp shone... A shot rang out through the dismal night, and the dead man lay alone. Oh, that's just great. Now, listen to me. Mike found the gun in your room, the one that was used to kill Corby with. Ah, that's why they call him Crazy Mike. His retarded mentality makes his hallucinations very powerful, and all with no aid from Bacchus, the god of wine. But don't sell a guy like that short. They kill a lot quicker than the ordinary person. Ah, listen to that storm. Fine night for death, a fine night for sweet oblivion. Did he show you the gun? No, but I know he's got it. And he found it in my room? Yes. Sweet, faded traitress. She put it there. What do you mean? Nothing. I'm closing up, boys. I'm indoors tonight. Probably be another power failure before long anyway. All right, if you're smart, you'll come with me to police headquarters. It'll go a lot easier with you if you don't wait to be picked up. No, I may be better served this way. Mike is looking for me? Yeah. Then I shall walk home slowly, and perhaps on the same corner, under the same streetlight, complexities may become peace and the struggle ended. Yes, I I like it this way. Look, mister, you're a sick man, a very sick man. On the contrary, I can't remember when I felt better. Good night, sir. Ten more minutes, and I close shop. I'll stay till then. Good night again, Mr. Stowe. The guy was mad. Didn't I say something about Halloween? Well, I had the two spooks, Crazy Mike and Mr. Baydell. I had the black cat, too. 
All I needed for the repeat performance was a witch and a broomstick. I got back to Mike's basement rooms, thinking I'd stay with him till the boys from headquarters got there. Mike! Mike ain't here. Who are you? Randy Stone, Chicago Star. Ah, Charlie told me he'd be around. Well, I'm glad you got here. Did you take Mike in? I couldn't find him. I'm waiting here after he'll show up. He's got a gun. He's planning to use it. Uh, Kelly's upstairs talking to Mrs. Corby now. Well, one of you guys better get down to the corner bar and keep your eye on the accordion player named Baydell. Ah, uh, who's he? That's the guy Mike is going to kill. I can't leave here. Maybe you better tell Kelly to go after Baydell and you stay with Miss Corby. <laughs> He'll be plenty happy to get out of there. She's driving him nuts about that black cat. Have you seen the cat? No. I heard her meowing outside and went out and looked around, but she was gone. <laughs> Kelly let me into Mrs. Corby's room. He was looking pleased with himself. Hello, Stone. Oh, you. Well, we're getting places on this thing, aren't we, Mrs. Corby? Well... I convinced her to give me some of the real facts, didn't I? And it comes out that she don't think Crazy Mike done it. Do you, Mrs. Corby? I... I... I, Mr. Baydell? How do you know? Mike found the gun in his room. Three bullets fired. Where's the gun? Where's the gun? Mike's got it. He's looking for Baydell to give him the rest of the bullets in the head. That's not so good. We got a man at Baydell's room waiting for him to come home. He's at the bar on the corner. I'll go get him. You stay here with Mrs. Corby. All right. Well, Eddie, it looks like your worries are all over. Now, you promised to take the cat, too. There we go again with the cat. Okay, we'll take her. I'll be back in a few minutes. Uh, keep the door locked, Stone. Okay. You didn't tell me about your boyfriend before, Mrs. Corby. I tried to shield him. I, I knew they wouldn't do much to old Mike. Why did he kill him? Nick made fun of him. And uh, Mr. Baydell wanted me for himself. He told me he was with you when the police came to tell you about the shooting. He'd come in about two minutes before they did and made me say it. He came up the fire escape through this window. Well, it'll be over in a few minutes. It will if they take the cat away. If they don't, you... Oh. Who's that? You're doomed, lover. Open up. Don't let him in. I've got to. I've got to hold him for the police. Your persistence would have done you well in the musical field, young man. You're not doing so bad yourself. I saw a rather heavy-set gentleman searching for me. You sent him, no doubt? No doubt, and he'll be back. And Mike, where's he? He disappointed me keenly. I waited and waited for him on the corner. Uh, by the way, has my true love told you all? Yeah. Did the sweet, tone-deaf person tell you that she was insanely jealous of her husband's relations with a black cat? Don't believe it, Mr. Stone. How come, Vedel? Fifteen minutes ago, you were ready to let Mike get you. Now you're singing a different tune. Mike disappointed me. I would gladly have paid on the street corner. But in a stinking jail? No, I'd rather not. Don't listen to him. He's crazy. You're wasting your time. Did the lady tell you that she came in through the fire escape three or four minutes after the shot was heard? Well, let it go. I'm not the judge or the jury. Oh, very well. Then let us sit here and just listen to the story. That's frightening. It's only thunder. The lights. The lights are out! Now, cut the hysteria. It's only a power failure. They'll be on in a few minutes. Oh, quiet, please. The beauty of darkness was never more necessary than now. What's that? Probably the police. Who is it? Just Mike. Oh, the cat. Take it away, Mike. Mike, please take it away. The lady's rival. Hi, Mike. Come on, old timer. Give me that gun. Stay where you are. Don't move. None of you. I can't see you in the dark, but I'll shoot at the first thing that moves. The cat. 
She's looking at me. Oh, Mike, take her away. Mike, the police are downstairs. They've come to straighten everything out. It didn't call me crazy. Uh, poor old Mike, he can't see in the dark room, but Tilly can. <laughs> can't you? Tilly, Tilly. Tilly will show me where he is so I can shoot him. Mike, Mike, I'm afraid of her. If she touches me... I'll <laughs> you, Mrs. Corby. Mike, I'm coming to that window, and you'll give me that gun. I got a bullet for you, too, if I have to. Stay where you are. Tilly. He was there with Nick when it happened. You can see him. Just walk over to him, Tilly, and I'll, I'll see your eyes in the dark. Tilly! Then I'll know where to shoot. She's... She's coming down. I watched with a horrible fascination as the cat landed on the floor. She looked around the room carefully, her yellow eyes flashing with hate. Don't let her touch me! Don't! I can't stand it! Easy, Mrs. Corby. You'll excite Mike. No! She's going to spring at me! I can't stand it! Mike, take her away! I did it! I killed him. Isn't that what you want to know? <laughs> now take her away. Take her away. <laughs> Mike fired straight at Mrs. Corby, but somehow his shot went wild. And then it was all over. Kelly'd been working his way up the fire escape, and he got Mike from behind. <laughs> okay, okay, old timer. Let me have the gun. We evened up for him, didn't we, Tilly? We evened up for Nick. Come on, Pop. I'm coming. Just a minute now. You listen. Hear that? Tilly's happy now. <laughs> She's happy now. <laughs> we got her all right. She made me do it. That cat. She hated me and she made me kill him. <laughs> The boys took over and there was nothing left for me to do. Mrs. Corby turned out to be the missing witch in my Halloween ball. She'd taken the shots at Mike and then planted the gun in old Baydell's room. I walked the broken down musician home. I felt I owed him an apology. I'm sorry about tonight. Everybody makes mistakes and I picked tonight to make the one of mine. I made a bigger mistake than you did, Mr. Stone. And uh, what was that? When Mike was at the window, I should have shouted, here I am. But he would have killed you. Yes. Good night, Mr. Stone. Good night, sir. Yeah, I've got a talent for getting mixed up with weird characters. Three out of the four were wacky, off their rockers. Old Mike, Mrs. Corby, Baydell, the accordion player. And the fourth character, of course, is me. And you know what? I'm not so sure about him either. No. Am I, Tilly girl? <laughs> I would have sworn that cat said something. Copy, boy. Starring Frank Lovejoy is produced and edited and directed by Warren Lewis. Tonight's script was written by Lou Russoff with music by Frank Worth. The part of Mrs. Corby was played by Lorene Tuttle. Mike was Will Gear. Others in tonight's cast were June Foray, Tudor Owen, Ken Christie, Lamont Johnson, and Lou Krugman. Frank Lovejoy will soon be seen in the Warner Brothers adventure drama Breakthrough. Tallulah Bankhead as Fem C brings you the big show Sunday on NBC. Mm -hmm. 
That is Nightbeat from November 3rd, 1950, The Black Cat. Good Halloween show with Frank Lovejoy starring as Randy Stone, reporter for the Chicago Star. Other actors in that cast, June Foray as the voice of the cat. You had um, Ken Christie. Lamont Johnson was the announcer. Lamont Johnson actually played Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle, on radio, but he was a uh, very big director in early television. In fact, directed quite a few episodes of The Twilight Zone. Uh, Lou Krugman in that cast, and also Loreen Tuttle, she played the older woman. Tudor Owen, Warren Lewis directed, and uh, Will Gear was also in that cast. Hope you enjoyed Nightbeat from November 3rd, 1950. Let's take a quick break. Then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater. Well, you know what, Lisa? What, Carl? I'm off to Arizona on Thursday to play in my... Every year I go out to Arizona to play in a uh, baseball tournament. It's in the Scottsdale, Phoenix area. It's so much fun. I play all year long. You know, on a team, and then and the uh, it culminates out there in Arizona. And what's um, important for our listeners to know yes. about that is that Carl will not be joining me next weekend for right. the WGN Radio Theater. I'm handing it all I, over to you. I, of course, will be here. I would not let you down. Carl, on the other hand, <laughs> he's letting you down just a little, but actually not, because I'll be here. It's going to be a great show. Saturday night, I am going to uh, host the show with Dave Plyer, so we're going going to do that together and on sunday night i'm going to host a show with the one and only roger baddish all right so he's not at the desk oh there he comes he's running over to the microphone you don't need me i know so um, (laughs) calhoun wait a minute am i carl or are you carl (laughs) it's going to be better than ever weekend in case you weren't sure better than ever weekend top notch i will be listening from arizona roger so you better do a good job Oh, well, otherwise I mean, I'm going to fly don't back. Don't worry, I'm going to keep him in line. Don't <laughs> yes, you, you worry. Are. Yes, you are. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, uh, it's next the week Lisa and Roger is here just for a short time show. Yeah, so <laughs> next week uh, make sure you tune in. I will be in Arizona, but I will be listening. I promise. I'll be All listening. Right. All right. And uh, don't forget, folks, too, if you want to come on vacation with Lisa and me, we're going on a cruise. And that cruise is August 1st, 2020. We're going to Bermuda. We are. This is Oceana Cruise Line, which is one of the finest, most luxury cruise lines out there. What's luxurious about it, Carl? Well, I have heard great <laughs> things about Oceana. Your parents, I mean, your parents can cruise on any cruise line they want. And they <laughs> and choose Oceana is their Oceana. cruise line of choice. So that's what we're doing. We're going to have a great time. We're going to eat like crazy. And that's the what Carl always goes to be, right to the food. <laughs> the food is supposed to be amazing. There's great entertainment. There's great food. There's spas. There's lounges. There's casinos. Casinos. Uh, what else? There's um, pools. Pools for sure. There's yeah. Cabana Boys. I've mentioned that a few <laughs> times. I'm going to keep. I'm hoping for that. We are going to cruise to St. George and Hamilton. Those are two islands in Bermuda. There's a rich history there. We're going to take some excursions if you want. If not, you can hang back with Carl, eat some more food. Either way, we're going to have a great time and we're going to do some classic radio fun. Of course, because this is a classic radio cruise, we will have some contests and some trivia and some prizes and some reenactments. We are going to do it up, and we're just. 
going to hang with our listeners and get yeah. to know each other. Yeah, get to know us better. We'll get to know you better. It'll be a lot of fun. We'll have dinner every night and all that stuff together Again, and to lunch. The food. So yeah, it's all about food. I, I know that quite a few people have signed up. We have a limited number of rooms. So there's two ways you can do it. You can call Keen Luxury Travel. They are our travel agency. They're going to give you a great rate because we got a great group rate for the Classic Radio Cruise. Their number is 800-856-1155, 800-856-1155, or you can go to our website, WGNRadioTheater.com. You can scroll down. You'll see a banner for the cruise. You can click on it, get more information there. We hope you will join us August 1st of 2020. Yep, going to Bermuda. 2020. It's going to be like 85 <laughs> degrees. Lisa will be with about... Four inches thick of sunblock on. That is absolutely true. I yeah. cannot argue that. She will not allow sun to touch her skin. <laughs> I don't need any more freckles. I have enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So make sure you check out the cruise. Come with us. We'd love for you to join. All right. In our next hour, it is the Sealed Book, a good scary show from 1945. You will not want to miss it. So stay right where you are. Thanks, Roger. And you know what? We're going to be celebrating Lisa's birthday tomorrow, even though it's not your birthday tomorrow, Lisa. It is my birthday tomorrow, Wait, Carl. Is it tomorrow? It is. Wait a minute. No, it is my birthday tomorrow. Today is Sunday, the 13th. So, oh, the four, yeah, the 14th. The 14th. Yeah, well, I'm thinking already it's, yeah, that's I don't right. know what you you're know, thinking. Carl, the sun in Arizona is going to do you wonders, wow. really. So we're actually going to have a cake on your birthday? Yes. And Luann, who is the best in the whole wide world, yeah, she's going to make you the most incredible cake. I know. I know. She asked me what I wanted, and I told her. Sprinkles yeah. and chocolate. All. <laughs> <laughs> Just like a child. I'm going to stop by and pick up that cake for you, Lisa. Great. And then you're going to have to blow out 108 candles? I'll, Gosh, I'll you look great best. for 108. Thank you. I've you heard that terrific, before. terrific, actually. <laughs> Thank you. It's you don't that, look it's all that plastic a day surgery. over 95. <laughs> 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 all right. In this hour, it is the sealed book from April 1st, 1945, Death Spins a Web with Philip Clark, because, you know, it's Halloween time, so we're it playing sure a lot is. of scary Halloween shows. Although tomorrow... When, or actually tonight. tonight, when we come back here, we have a uh, comedy with Life with Luigi. But it but is a Halloween that's story. That's right. It's a Halloween story. And then the mysterious traveler. Another Halloween story. Right. That's because that's how we do it here that's at how WGN we roll. Radio Theater. All right. Time for our game, Cat's Pride. Guess that song. We are going to guess that song. We're still at 1973. And we are going to ask for caller number seven. You can call right now, 312-981-7200. We'll be right back. Guess that song. And we're going to guess that song. Who do we have? We have Rick on the line. Hi, Rick. Hi. How you doing? Hi, Rick. Uh, I'm doing great. Terrific. Glad you made it through. And uh, Rick sounds smart. He knows his stuff. Are you stuff. smart? <laughs> yes, he, I can tell. I can tell Rick's smart. Well, all you have to be is song smart. It's a special kind of smart. He's smart all around, <laughs> all the way around. It's oh, a special boy. smart. We're still in 1973. Pressure's on now, Rick. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll see what you can do. We're going to start with our first song. It's a, it's an oldie but a goodie. Let's hear it. You know that's a game that I hate to lose. Oh. All these ballads that she likes these Carl, soft. That's slow. a great song. Chris Come on, Away by Dobie Gray. That oh, is exactly. See, did I, did right. I nail it on the head? Did you with know this that brick? one, Carl? No, I had no idea. Good. All right, let's hear it. You know that's a game that I hate to lose. 
Do you like this song, Rick? Oh, yeah, that's a great song. Thank you. Carl's very critical of my song choices. Ain't it a shame? This is a great okay, song. It's good. So you got it. You got to hear yeah, the little fun fact here. It was too slow here. in the beginning. Now, that, <laughs> so Dobie Gray said that "Give Me the Beat Boys and Free My Soul" has been misheard and incorrectly sung as "Give Me the Beach Boys," no. "Give Me the Wheat Boys," and no. "Give Me the Meatballs." <laughs> Give me the meatballs. Yeah, I like that. Oh, that's a good one. Okay, we've got another song. Being Italian, of course, I like that. <laughs> song number two is great as well. Let's hear it. Oh, Chicago. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> Carl's like, mm-hmm. I knew it was Chicago. All right. You got to uh, get to the... Minute. You can sing out loud. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't know it. You're, you're going to hit yourself in a minute. Uh, what is it? All right, let's hear it. So Peter Satira said that while the song is about both healing and moving on after the end of a relationship. So that's what it's about. That's so what I it's get, about? It is. Oh, okay. Both healing and moving on mm-hmm. after a relationship. Instead of pining? Instead of, <laughs> Carl's not a piner. You know what? You are the winner. You have won the desktop indoor weather station. It's brought to you by American Weathermakers Heating and Cooling. No pining. The 60-minute oh, okay. men. Carl's not allowed to pine. Uh-uh, no pining. Visit AmericanWeathermakers.com. <laughs> she breaks up with you. Oh, well. <laughs> That's what I always Rick say. Carl doesn't like to pine, but no I think pining. he is a bit of a piner, even no, though he won't admit I to will being not a piner. Pine. I don't pine. Rick, <laughs> Rick's not a piner either. Rick, are you a piner? No. No. Okay. No, no pining here. I can tell. I like Rick. <laughs> I like Rick, too. Rick, thank you so much for calling in. You're the winner. Way to go, Rick. Takes thank a you. lot. Thank you. Take care. All right. Rick is a big winner. He won a desktop indoor weather station. Brought to you by American I wish Weathermakers. I had one of those. I have one. It's for Man, sale. The I right Price, I'll share it with I you. I had one of those. <laughs> All righty. You ready for the sealed book? Yeah, We're uh, kind of celebrating Halloween season, playing all kinds of Halloween shows throughout October. And it's time for a scary one. It is the sealed book. This was a mystery and terror series. It only uh, aired one season, though, in 1945. It was produced and directed by Jock McGregor. He did a lot of radio producing and directing. This was heard on Mutual, and WGN back at this time was a Mutual affiliate. So this program actually aired on this station what, 50, 60, 70 plus years ago, 1945, a long time ago. Yeah, about 64 years ago. Yeah. So uh, Philip Clark was the mysterious silent keeper of the book in which is recorded all the secrets and mysteries of mankind through the ages. It was interesting, it's, it's right? It's good already. Nice and creepy. Yes. Scripts were by Robert A. Arthur and David Kogan. That's the same team that brought us the mysterious traveler, Strange Doctor Weird. And we have a good one for you. It's called Death Spins a Web from April 1st, 1945. Here's part one of The Sealed Book. The Sealed Book. Once again, the keeper of the book 
is ready to open the ponderous volume in which is recorded all the secrets and mysteries of mankind through the ages. All the strange and mystifying stories of the past, the present, and the future. Keeper of the book, what tale will you tell us this time? Hmm, what tale shall I tell you? I have here tales of every kind. Tales of murder, of madness, of dark deeds and events strange beyond all belief. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let me see. Yes, yes, here's a tale for you. The strange tale of an old woman and of three heirs greedy for her millions. A tale I call Death Spins a Web. And here is the tale as it is written in the sealed book. In a great mansion far from the city, Mrs. Oliver Drake lies dying. Her door opens, and her attorney, Henry Arnold, enters. Good morning, Mrs. Drake. How do you feel today? Henry, two days ago, Dr. Smith told me I had two months to live. Well, that's how I feel. Like somebody who has two months to live. <laughs> you take it well, Mrs. Drake. <laughs> Tell me, have those three worthless grandchildren gotten here yet? Uh, Blanche and Vivian have. They're outside in the hall now. But you want to see them? I don't want to see them, no. But I will. We have things to talk over. Of course. I'll send them in. Your grandmother will see you now. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Oh, Granny, darling, it's so nice to see you again. Why, you don't look sick at all. <clears throat> at night. Must be quite a disappointment to you, Vivian. Dear Granny, it's so good to see you again. How are you, darling? Mm, Dr. Smith says I may live for another ten years. <laughs> now, Blanche, you mustn't look so downcast. Perhaps I can arrange to die sooner. Why, Granny, you know I didn't mean any... Hello, Granny. Sorry I'm late. Ah, our family playboy has arrived. Chris... These are your cousins, Blanche and Vivian. Well, I'm very happy to meet both of you. Strange, Chris, that we've never met before. We've been to so many of the same places. Monte Carlo, Paris, Dovey. I'm sorry that we didn't, Blanche. Until now, I had no idea that I had such a beautiful cousin. Uh, Chris, I'm Vivian, one of your unknown polo admirers. I saw you play at Bentonhurst last year. You were magnificent. Mm, Chris is magnificent of everything that's a waste of time. By the way, Chris, whatever became of that princess you were married to? Oh, you mean Irina? We were divorced two months ago, Granny. Congratulations. What about you, Blanche? Hmm? Are you still married to that third husband of yours? Oh, no, Granny. I got rid of him a year ago. What about you, Vivian? I'm free at the moment, darling. You know... If I were to search the entire world for the three most useless people... I don't think I could do better than you three. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, you're undoubtedly right, darling. If I had my way, I'd cut you three vultures off without a penny and leave everything to charity. Unfortunately, under your grandfather's will, I have to divide the fortune among the three of you. But <laughs> I'm permitted to divide it any way I see fit. <laughs> but of course you're going to divide the money equally between us. 
Aren't you, Granny? Mm, no, dear, that's just it. I'm not. What? I'm going to leave the fortune to just one of you. The other two will merely receive token inheritances. But why, Granny? I feel that one of you must be just a shade less useless to society than the other two. And to that one, I intend to bequeath the fortune. I see. And have you made up your mind yet? No. Ah? Uh? I want the three of you to live with me for a few weeks so that I can become better acquainted with each of you. And at the end of that time, I shall make my decision. <laughs> In the days that followed, Blanche, Vivian, and Chris spent a good deal of time with their grandmother. Mrs. Drake preferred to see them separately, and often, after one of the three had left her bedroom, there was a gleam of amusement in her eye, as though she were enjoying a private joke. Chris, meanwhile, working on a plan of his own, also saw a lot of his beautiful cousins separately. Oh, oh, Chris. Isn't it beautiful out here? You're very beautiful, Blanche. As beautiful as the night itself. <laughs> you don't have to say that, Chris. Just because there's a full moon. It's not the moon. Darling, life hasn't been the same since I met you. The moment our eyes met, I, I was lost. Oh, Chris. Chris, I felt the same way. Only I... I didn't think you did. But I do, darling. Then... You're going riding with Vivian each morning doesn't mean anything? Oh, of course not. You're the one I love and always will. Oh, Chris. Chris, I do so want to believe you. I've been so unhappy. None of my husbands ever understood me. But I do, darling. And I love you very much. Oh. Oh. You know that now, don't you? Yes, Chris. Yes. I do. Oh, Chris, it's a wonderful morning. Oh, the air feels so clean. Oh, you look lovely, Vivian, with your cheeks so flushed and your hair windblown. Look at me, Vivian. Oh, Chris, Chris, don't. Yeah. You had no right to kiss me. Let me go. Your lips say let me go, but that isn't what your eyes are saying, is it, darling? No, Chris. No, it's not. Oh, Chris, this isn't just one of your famous flirtations. No, darling. I think I fell in love with you the moment I saw you. You do care for me, don't you, Vivian? Yes, Chris. Yes, I do. <laughs> Dad, you want to see me, Granny? Yes. Come over here, Chris. Hmm. Well, how did you make out? What do you mean? I said, how did you make out? With Vivian, of course. <laughs> so you know that I was out riding with Vivian. I know everything that goes on in this house. Vivian may not know that you took Blanche for a walk down by the lake last night, but I know. Oh, now, Granny, you're not going to give my little game away, are you? Oh, no, Chris, no. I find it very enjoyable watching an unmitigated scoundrel make love to two women at the same time. Well, after all, Granny, 
If you don't leave me the fortune, I have no choice but to marry whichever one of them inherits it. But they're such stupid women, Chris. You yourself are a rogue, but at least an amusing one. But those women... And that's the reason you ought to leave me the fortune, Granny. <laughs> the pity I'm not 20 years younger, isn't it, Chris? Then your charm might have some effect upon me. Yes, you're quite right. Well, Chris, you'd better get back to Blanche and Vivian. After all, one of them might be an heiress. And heiresses demand attention. <laughs> A week passed, a week in which Kraus Chris found it more and more difficult to play his little game. Blanche and Vivian stopped speaking to each other, and it became steadily harder for him to convince each of them that he had no interest in the other. Good morning, darling. Oh, hello, Blanche. What? Aren't you even going to kiss me? Uh, oh, of course, dear. Oh, oh Chris, I do love you so. This past week has been heavenly. Chris, you do love me, don't you? Darling, what a question. You know there couldn't be anyone for me but you. Then why do you spend so much time with Vivian? That's how I keep tabs on her. What? Well, what do you mean? Blanche, Vivian is cheating in an effort to get Granny's fortune. Cheating? How? The three of us agreed not to go see Granny unless she sent for us. Yes? Well, Vivian has already broken that agreement. Well, Several times she sneaked into Granny's bedroom to try to influence the old lady in her favor. What? Why, that dirty double-crossing two-timing... Chris, do you think Vivian's getting anywhere? Well, when Granny sent for me last night, she more or less hinted that it would be Vivian who would inherit the fortune. But... Chris, how can you take it so calmly? We've got to do something. Please, darling, let me handle this. Wait, wait, wait. I have a plan to take care of Vivian and to take care of her very effectively. Oh, boy. Death spins a web. You can hear, you can figure out what's going on here. This granny is uh, pitting them all against each other, Lisa. <laughs> the sealed book. We'll get back to it in just a moment. So, Lisa, did you see some shows out there in Las Vegas? Well, you know, Carl, I had a great week in Las Vegas, but I had the good fortune to see the best show in Las Vegas, the best really? headliner, and that was Barry Manilow. Oh, wow. Now, you know, Barry Manilow's career. Love Barry Manilow. I, who doesn't love He's Barry fin- Manilow, right? I mean, I used to listen to his... When when I was buying records and collecting yeah. my record collection, I had every Barry Manilow record. I, I did every too. one of them. And that's the thing about Barry Manilow; his career has spanned so long. He really appeals to all ages. I mean, there well, was he's all a, ages he's an in icon. the audience. And um, of course, he's a pop music icon, and yeah. he's going to continue his residency at Westgate Las Vegas Resort and Casino, which is where I saw him. Two days ago, I can't amazingly. Smile without. without yes, you. I think he started with that really? song. Oh, yeah. wow. It's one of you my know favorites. any others? Mandy, of course. Mandy. Um, you came see. and you gave without tape. Oh, wow. What about Copacabana? At the Copa. Copacabana. Copacabana. Roger, you love Barry Manilow. I Mal. write the song. I, yes, I write you do. The but, yes, I you do. You know what? The, the young girls sing. Cry. 
Cry? I think it's cry. <laughs> Is it? So, so he's a well, Grammy. Only Barry can do only it. Only Barry I mean. can he's, do it. Now, he's a Grammy, he's Tony, best. and Emmy Award winning singer, songwriter, arranger, producer, and musician. He did it did all. Did you get to meet him? I did get to oh, meet him. Oh, man. I have I'm the best so pictures, jealous. which I posted all over our WGN radio social media. Um, he is really a great show. It was a nonstop evening with all of his hits. He's got jingles. He has some massive videos. He's got great sets and special effects. This is really the show to see in Las Vegas. You know, when they say there's someone you want to meet, you have want to have dinner with, That's he's on one. my list. He, He'd he, be the guy. And he's still on my sit list. And talk to him and... He knows everybody in Hollywood you know, and everyone in the music industry. It was truly a wow. memorable experience for lucky, me. Not you're a lucky only, girl. Not only to see the show, but to meet this pop music icon. If you want to see the show, too, you can go to BarryManilow.com. You can go to Westgate-LasVegas.com. And hopefully you can head out to Vegas and go see the best show in town, Barry Manilow. You are a lucky lady. I know it. All right, when we come back from the news, we will tune in to uh, the conclusion to the sealed book. So don't go away, because we'll be back right after this. It is 1.34 in the morning. And don't forget, when Lisa and I come back here tonight at 11 p.m., we will play two classic radio shows for Halloween for you. The we first have one is your mom's favorite. My mom's Life favorite. with Louie. She loves that show. This is for your mom. And, of course, it's a Halloween theme. And we also have The Mysterious Traveler, also with a Halloween theme. Yeah, scary. So stay tuned. And, of course, we'll be celebrating my birthday. And I want you to celebrate with me. That's right. God. We're going to have cake. 104? 103. You're 103. one year old. Oh, gosh. And I have a very special cake coming from our friend Luann. And well, I'm I don't really know if they're going to allow that many uh, candles, candles lit. <laughs> In this well, place. we can't light any of them, but we'll no. uh, we'll pretend. Well, I'll tell you what, Luann makes the greatest cake on the planet. I know that. That's why I am jumping for joy. That picture that we had <laughs> oh, I know. last year, well, last, in August, it was for your birthday. Yeah, it was for my birthday, and we're just like eating the cake. Like, we're going to do that again. Like we tonight. had never eaten anything before. That's so right. Good. I can't wait. I'm going to make sure I'm nice and hungry. Okay, me too. I'll pick, I'm going to pick up the cake and then bring it here. And then uh, we'll say happy birthday. I can't wait. And then we'll see. This is what makes eat birthday the whole special. Cake. Thank you. <laughs> uh, sound good? Yeah, sounds great. I can't great. wait to hear what happens on this episode of the sealed book. I know. I mean, this this uh, grandma. She's got oh, them yeah. all pitted against each other for her fortune. Interesting story called "Death Spins a Web." Let's get back now to the sealed book. <laughs> Hello, Vivian. How are you, darling? Let go of me, Chris. Let go. But, but what's wrong, darling? Aren't you afraid Blanche may be wondering where you are? Oh, so that's it. Yes, that's it. Vivian, listen to me. Whatever time I've spent with Blanche hasn't been because I wanted to. All I've been doing is protecting our interests. Protecting our interests? You may not know it, but Blanche has broken the agreement the three of us had. She's been sneaking in to see Granny behind our backs. Why, that low-down, conniving, peroxide blonde. That's the reason I've spent so much time with Blanche. To learn if Granny is being influenced by her. And is she, Chris? Mm-hmm. Blanche seems to feel certain she's going to inherit the fortune. Oh, Chris, what are we going to do? You can do as you please. After I've spent days with that hag trying to protect our interests and ensure our future happiness, you accuse me of making love to her. I didn't say that. Well... You intimated as much. Oh, please, Chris, don't be angry. I'm terribly sorry I lost my temper. Oh, please say you forgive me, darling. Please. 
I'll never doubt you again. A few days later, after a particularly severe heart attack, Mrs. Drake sent for her three grandchildren. I suppose you're wondering why I sent for you, aren't you? Naturally. Well, frankly, yes, Granny darling. In the two weeks that you've been living with me, I've come to the conclusion that you three are the shallowest and most useless people alive. Why, Granny? If I could, I'd leave the entire fortune to charity. But the will of your grandfather provides that the fortune is to be divided among you. I want you to know that I've finally made my choice. You have? And who's the lucky one among us, Granny? My attorney, Mr. Arnold, is coming from the city the day after tomorrow to draw up my will. When I'm dead, he'll reveal to you who the fortune goes to. (laughs) Until then, you'll just have to be patient and try to guess. For several days, Blanche and Vivian and Chris have waited in suspense to learn their grandmother's decision as to who is to inherit her money. Then one morning, looking very upset, Chris seeks out his cousin, Blanche. Blanche? Chris, what is it? Is anything wrong? Everything's wrong. What is it? Chris, tell me. Early this morning, Granny sent for me. I managed to wheedle out of her who the fortune is going to. You did? Oh, Chris, who's going to get it? Vivian. Vivian? Yes. We're each to receive $5,000 while she gets millions. Oh, Chris. Chris, it's not fair. Oh, shh. Don't cry, darling. I could stand the thought of losing the fortune. If it wanted, I'd lose you also. Chris, what are you saying? We'll always be together. Oh, darling, there's no use pretending. If we're both penniless, we can't get married. Oh, Chris, it it wouldn't matter if we were penniless. Really, it wouldn't. That's what you say now, Blanche, but I know better. Oh, no. Both of us are too used to luxury to do without it. And listen, if somehow Vivian failed to inherit the fortune, it would mean that either you or I would be bound to. In either case, we could get married and have our chance for happiness. Yes, you're right. Oh, I hate her. I hate her. Darling, if we want our happiness, we've got to fight for it. Chris, what are you talking about? If something were to happen to Vivian, our worries would be over. Chris, you don't mean... Oh, no. Darling, the happiness of two people is more important than that of one. And we could be so happy together. I can't bear the thought of giving you up. Chris, but murder, we'd be caught. Not if we're clever, darling. Now listen, this afternoon, suggest to Vivian that the two of you take the canoe and paddle to the other end of the lake. When you get about a mile from shore, you'll see me approaching in the motorboat. That will be the moment for you to tip the canoe over. Tip the canoe over? Yes. Then I'll pick you up and bring you back to the dock. As for Vivian, it was a simple case of drowning. By the time I reached the overturned canoe, she had gone under. You were the only survivor. Oh, Chris, I'm so frightened. Well, will you do it? Yes. I'll do it. If you want me to. Are you tired paddling, Blanche? No, Vivian. The lake is certainly deserted today, isn't it? No, it is this time of the year. 
Oh, but that water's cold. Oh. Here, a motorboat. Oh, look, it's Chris. He's coming after us. Hello, you two. Who wants a lift? Let, let's just ignore him, Vivian. <laughs> All right. We'll pretend he isn't there. He expects us to admit we're tired. <laughs> <laughs> shall, uh, shall we change places? I'm tired of paddling in the stern. All right, if you like. But be careful. These canoes tip very easily. Yes, I know. Uh, now, you work your way slowly toward the stern while I make for the bow. Okay. Uh, now, we have to slide past each other. <laughs> this is a tricky part to changing places in a canoe. Blanche, look out. You're rocking the canoe. Oh, I, I can't help it. Look out. We're going over. Hey, what happened to you two? Chris. Chris, pick me up. Come over here and I'll help you into the boat. Chris. Where are you? Here I am, Vivian. Chris, it's 30 yards to the boat. I can't swim that far. Chris, pick me up. My clothes are dragging me under. Where's the boat? I'll pick you up. Oh, Chris, I'm... don't let me drown. Chris. Chris. It's only another 20 yards, Blanche. Oh, Chris, my, my, my clothes, they're, they're so heavy. Oh, I'm getting so tired. Just a few more yards, darling. <laughs> a few more yards? I couldn't swim beyond that if, if my life depended on it. I'm afraid you may have to, darling. Chris! Chris, come back! Chris, don't let me drown! Chris! Chris, don't! Hello, Granny. How are you? Have the police left yet? Yes, Granny. They asked me to convey their condolences over the tragic loss of your granddaughters. Oh, it was just one of those unfortunate accidents. Yes, wasn't it? It's a pity you weren't able to get there in time to save them, Chris. I shall never forgive myself for that, Granny. Mm, I'm sure you won't. Well, Mr. Arnold is waiting to see me about drawing up my will and naming my heir. But I no longer seem to have a choice in the matter. I must give you credit, Chris. You worked the whole thing out like a master. Why, Granny, whatever are you talking about? <laughs> you may have fooled Blanche and Vivian and the police to boot, but not me, Chris. What do you mean? Chris, do you remember when the thought first occurred to you that with Blanche and Vivian gone, you wouldn't head at all? Why, Granny... It was when you met your cousins for the first time in this room. The thought occurred to you because I said, it's a pity there isn't only one of you, then I wouldn't have to bother deciding who should inherit the fortune. <laughs> Come to think of it, I do recall your saying something to that effect. And when I did, your head came up and you stared at the two women, and then you smiled. And I knew exactly what you are going to do. <laughs> of course, this is all nonsense, but if you say you knew what I was going to do, why didn't you stop me? Because I wanted to see happen what did happen. But if you wanted me to inherit the fortune, why didn't you promise to leave it to me in your will without... Without forcing you to do what you did? Yes. Mm, my dear Chris, for reasons of my own, 
I wanted it to be quite impossible for those two vicious, stupid women to inherit my money. And equally impossible for you. Well, whether you want me to inherit the fortune or not, I'm going to. Oh, are you? <laughs> yes. Under Grandfather's will, there's no way you can prevent me from inheriting it. It's mine, come what may. Oh, is it? Yes. <laughs> what are you laughing at? You fool. There isn't any fortune. What? What are you saying? There are millions. There's nothing. Absolutely nothing. Everything your grandfather left was lost in the Depression. No, that can't be. You're lying. Lying, am I? <laughs> I've been paying the servants, my doctor bills, and other expenses by selling what few pieces of jewelry I had left. I have nothing now, nothing. No. In fact, uh, I shouldn't even be surprised if you had to pay my funeral expenses. You witch! <laughs> you planned this all from beginning to end. Getting the three of us here. Speaking of leaving the fortune to one of us, driving me on to, to drown the two of them. <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. And I can't recall ever having had so much fun in all my life. Well, you won't be having it much longer. You made a mistake in playing me for the fool. <laughs> I don't think so. You did exactly as I knew you would. Everything I expected came about. <laughs> it did, did it? Did you expect this also? <sighs> you didn't expect this, did you? Well, why don't you laugh now? You'll never play anybody else for a fool. Strength, anything wrong? I thought I heard... Good heavens, Mr. Drake, let go of her. Let go, do you hear? Let go. The thing she didn't count on. Let go of her. There. You can have her. She'll never play another little game like that. Mrs. Drake. Mrs. Drake. She's dead. No more than she deserved. Chris, what did you do it for? Murdering a helpless old woman. It's madness. Helpless, was she? Why, she tricked me into believing she had a fortune. Tricked me into killing to get it. What are you talking about? She tricked you into believing she had a fortune. She does have a fortune. You're lying. She said there wasn't a cent of the fortune left. You must have misunderstood her. She's worth at least eight million dollars. And with the death of your cousins, you were the sole heir to it. Eight million dollars? But Chris, no matter what you do now, that fortune can never be yours. I saw you kill your grandmother. And under the law, no murderer can inherit anything from his victim. And she planned this, too. She always said she didn't want me to have her money. And she fixed it way so it would all go to charity. But I'll show her. I'll show her. It's mine, do you hear? Mine, mine, mine! <laughs> so in the end, old Mrs. Drake defeated her three greedy grandchildren after all. But what a strange way to disinherit anybody. It looks as if murder ran in the family, doesn't it? But the sound of the great gong tells me it's time to close the sealed book again. Be sure to be with us again next time. The sound of the great gong heralds another strange and exciting story from... The Sealed Book. The Sealed Book, written by Bob Arthur and David Cogan, is produced and directed by Jock McGregor. You know, if it was a sealed book, Lisa, how did they get any of the stories out of it if it was sealed? Yeah, it wasn't sealed very pro- doesn't sealed properly, for sure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they pried it open. Right. 
All right. And that makes some sense. Right. Because sealed, I mean, it's if a it's sealed, sealed book. If it's sealed, it's sealed, right? And how the heck you could unseal those things that are sealed. Take the you know, scissors and you just open it up. It's very confusing to me. I, I could see that. <laughs> Things confuse confused. me very easily. <laughs> I noticed that too. <laughs> April 1st, 1945, death spins a web. And Philip Clark, who for a while played Mr. Keen, tracer of lost persons on the radio. He was, uh, and he did a lot of these kind of, you know, played the, an older guy a lot. Philip Clark, even though he was a young guy, he could do the voice, you know, he could yeah. do a voice like that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. You know what I mean? I do. Uh, he was the host on there. I heard the uh, voice of Maurice Tarplin as the cop at the end of the show, uh, the police officer that came in and caught him murdering his grandmother. That would have been your part, the cop. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. I always like to play the, the bad I like to, guy. I like to play the bad guy. You are the, the bad, bad guy. guy like that, you know. Like, hey, <laughs> hey, I'm the bad guy. Yeah, we know. You That's know? what Roger. I'm Roger could play the the police officer, and I would be the bad guy, and he would arrest me. I think you That's should be the that police officer. And then you would be the damsel in, in distress. distress. Of course, the damsel in distress. You know, I could do a better job than that, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hope you enjoyed the sealed book.